Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. What's up, Los Angeles? It's Amanda Seals, and I'm bringing my smart, funny, and black comedy variety game show to your city. Now, these politicians may be trying to act like black culture doesn't exist, but we know that is not the truth because we will be celebrating it May 18th at the Novo in downtown LA like we do at every single show. Click here to grab your tickets at amandaseals.com, and I will see you there with a fist in the air. Smart, funny, and What up, y'all? It's Amanda Seals. And before we get into this dope episode of Small Doses Podcast, I want to put you on to a few things. First of all, I just got to thank y'all for such an incredible showing out of love for last week's episode, Side Effects of Girl Group Dynamics with Candy Burress. We got so many listens, so many downloads, and you guys really came through for the YouTube premiere. It was our biggest to date. Every Thursday, we premiere our new episodes on YouTube at Amanda Seals TV, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. I'm in the chat, chit-chatting with y'all. The best part is hearing y'all say, I listen to the podcast, and then I come and watch it, and then I go to your Patreon for the extra content, because we are giving our heart and soul with this podcast. If you want to be one of those people going to the Patreon, all you got to do is check out theamandaverse.com. Get it? It's a universe of Amanda. And we got all sorts of stuff there, not just small doses extended content. We also got behind-the-scenes content. We got photos that are just too cool for IG. We got extended content from the other shows I'm doing. So it's worth your $5 a month. Now, if you want to spend a little mo and come out to a show, well, baby, we are in luck because I will be doing Smart, Funny, and Black at the Novo in Los Angeles on May 18th. Now, y'all know Smart, Funny, and Black is my black culture comedy variety show. We got a live band and an even liver audience and live guests that come on stage and compete in games that test their knowledge of black culture, black history, and the black experience. And you know they're trying to shut everything black down right now. So if you want to come and be a part of lifting up the blackness, then that's what you got to do. Get your tickets at amandaseals.com. And while we're saying my name, you can also check out my radio show, The Amanda Seals Show. Shout out to Reach Media and Radio 1. My syndicated radio show is popping and locking. And you can check out episodes wherever you get your podcasts, also in cities near you. So make sure that you go to amandasealshow.com and find out if we're in your city on your radio. All right. Can you tell I'm busy? But I'm not too busy to get into another episode. Let's do it. Self-help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and Nancy. It's so funky. funky. This is long overdue. The people asked for it. The streets demanded it. No, literally, y'all were in my DMTs demanding. It was very much like, if I'm not tagging you, I am contacting you directly. Amanda Seals, why have you not collaborated yet with Dr. Raquel Martin, PhD? I was like, I, I, I don't know, but I listened to the people and the people spoke and here we are because I appreciate we, respect, it. we respect the people. So here we are. With the Dr. Ralph Hallmartin, PhD psychologist, to talk about 
side effects of therapy. And first, before we go into anything, can you please tell us the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist and a therapist? Yes, I can. Okay. And then license. Make sure people, because let me tell you something, people's licenses lapse. Like Dr. Phil has his PhD in psychology and he very much at one point was a licensed clinical psychologist, but he is now licensed. Right. Okay. So like, and so in order to stay licensed, you have to continue to do like testing and CEUs, I think, or. Yep. CEUs, you have to continue to one, you got to pay for the CEUs and you have to, you know, do the tests and stuff like that. And then you also have to pay to keep your licenses up. And people choose not to do that. So all the things that cops don't have to do. Oh, Yeah. I mean, but why should they? They're doing such a great job. So doing such true. a great job. Oh my God. It's not a systemic right. issue at all. Right. Um, but yeah. So yeah, so that's okay. So as a psychologist, I have my I'm PhD in medical and clinical psychology, and I focus more so on the therapeutic aspect of different modalities of therapy and things of that nature. So I have a PhD. Psychiatrists have, have an, an MD, MD. And there are, yeah, they can have like PhD MD too. Um, if they're like really overachievers, but like they can have a PhD MD too. And their focus most of the time is actually on the medication part. There are some psychiatrists who do me- who do therapy as well. But honestly, most of the time they're so overworked on the medicine part with like such the the need to do medicine. I don't know many that do therapy too. Um, also, it will be a different aspect of training because like my training is solely in therapy and then having some training in, in like the medicine part, but they have to do all the medicine part and then they would have to do the therapy part too. Like they're in no way the same. So the psychiatrist, when you say, when they, when you say they're doing the medicine part, like they're the ones who are like, oh, you're bipolar, which was uh, diagnosed by a psychologist, and so now mm-hmm. I have to prescribe you the medication for your bipolar disorder and manage it. Is that how that would work? Yes, because they're and their appointments are different too, right? Like my patients, I'll see weekly or biweekly and stuff like that. Where psychiatry, typically, you have the first appointment, which is longer, but then they'll have re-up appointments. Re-up, my God, re-up appointments to get your stuff. And then it's it's in no way like weekly or bi-weekly or sometimes it's not even monthly, right? So like they're keeping up on really the maintenance of how your body is responding to it. And the yeah. two, like if you need medication, the two go hand in hand. Like I did have a previous person I worked with with a psychiatrist. We would, we would check in with each other because if they weren't seeing me, then they're like, well, the efficacy of the, the medicine is like, there's a limit, right? So like, it's good to be a team. Like, so we would check in and like, how are the obsessions going in? still being consistent, making progress or goals, no complaints about the medication. And then if my patient is also having concerns about the medication, then I'll also check in with the psychiatrist too. I mean, they can also do that, but I, I kind of like the team model because there's a lot to manage in the first place. And sometimes people aren't as comfortable talking to people. And I, so I talk to everybody about everything. So I would just be like, she don't like them. I know, <laughs> like she can check in with you, but like, you need to change the doses. It's, it's a bit much. I've noticed the right. difference she has. And also you need to address why you don't seem as approachable <laughs> to her as I am. But she don't. Uh, but the not aspect. <laughs> Touche. And then therapists can be, it's a, it's a wider range, like for licensed therapists. So you can have, be like a licensed professional counselor. You could be a licensed clinical social worker. You can be an LMFT, which is a um, licensed marriage and family therapist. And you could be a psychologist. Right? Like I have, um, a, I have like a cognitive behavioral therapist. Yes. Right. So they're, they're licensed, but they're, they could be, they could be like a social worker, a professional counselor. They could be a psychologist. Therapist is, is more of like an overarching term. The most important one to me is the, is licensed because that means we have a board that we have to be held accountable to. Like if I do something Mm. that's harmful, if I do something detrimental, like you need to let my board know, then I get investigated, then I might have a fine, then I might lose my job. Some people even get jail time, like, and then I might lose my license. Like there has to be repercussions for having this significant relationship with someone 
helping them and then you harm them. Like somebody has to somebody has to hold you accountable. And that's the whole point of licensure to me. So when people say stuff, I'm like, all right, right, right. License though? Like, can I look you up? Like anybody right. can look me up. Anybody. And that's how it should be. Because some people out here, you know. Just... Yeah. Just saying and doing, you know, whatever. Now, okay. Outside of these licensed forms of therapy, mm-hmm. do you have any other forms of therapy that you feel like either in your personal experience or as it relates to like your friends or just in your just professional suggestion that you feel like is also helpful? Like I always say, like for me, Reiki was a form of therapy that like actually mm-hmm. like helped me, even though it's not like a part of like the more licensed and like formalized Western form of therapy. Like it was like a supplementary yeah. part because like you were still conversing before they do the chakra shit which you have to like decide like do I believe in this okay I believe in this but like you have yeah. to like make a decision but like that was something that for me ended up surprisingly being a form of therapy that I didn't consider yeah I think all of it because I feel like everybody deserves therapy but unfortunately at this point like therapy is very much a privilege and let alone if you try to look for something like a black person a person in global majority like the caseloads are packed right so I very much like try to work on you have therapy and if you do have therapy, that's amazing. But like supplements, like you mentioned, or even bringing up like different aspects of coping skills. Sometimes people can afford to see therapists weekly. Sometimes it's biweekly, but that's only like one aspect of your day. So like I got to we got to find something that helps you out and supports you through the in time the mix, when you don't the, see right, me. Right, right, right. Like, like what you found that helped you. Like so it could be that it could be, I mean, working out, getting outside. You know, like everybody's in these offices inhaling this like recycled fart air all day. You're not supposed to be in the doors all day. Like the way people are. <laughs> I always say it that way, but like, yo, you need to go outside. Okay. Yes. Like, so stuff like that. One of the sides of my patients, she was very sensory and she had difficulties with anxiety and grounding. And I told her how to crochet because for me, that was something that was helpful for me because my job is very gray, but crocheting is very black and white. Mm. There very much is an end in the, in the beginning. So sometimes when I'm helping people try to figure out stuff that'll help them in supporting them, I'll try to find stuff that you don't get in your typical day to day. Like my job is gray. My coping skills, black or white. Right. And she was also sensory. So picking out the nice yarn and and having something that she can use. But yeah, and most of the time people know it. It's just, I think sometimes we get too bogged down with like, oh, well, technically this isn't therapy. No, it's not. It's a support system. It's a coping skill. You still need it. You know, especially since most of the time these people who are given therapy are coming from like a westernized, individualistic Europeans, American-centric thing. And that's really not going to get to help you to like the roots of what's going to happen anyway. So like, yeah, like find what works for you. Even look at stuff that might be sensory. Look at stuff that might give you something that you don't get in your day-to-day. Like I I very much need like, oh, this got an end date and a a, a beginning date. Because everything I reside in is gray. Everything is gray. Like humans are gray. I was going to say, I want to hear more about that. Like when you were saying that your job is a gray area, like... Because humans are not numbers, like there's nothing finite, like everything is uh-huh. just uh, moving. Is that what you mean? Yeah, like everything's a moving target. Also, right. just the aspect of, I've tried to get people to go from like something, something, but and in, in, I've tried to get them to say and. Like I am experiencing this and yeah. it is exciting and it's terrible. Right. It's exciting why is, and it's why, terrible. Why the specifics between but and and? Because one seems like it's discounting the experience and you're putting more emphasis on the other. Like I like this, but, which means you're going to focus more on the next thing, but. Right. I would also be okay with not doing as much. Or this is great, but right. it could have been better. It's great and it could have been better. So I'm going to acknowledge the fact that it was great. Right. Let's talk about what made it great. And yeah. let's talk about what made it better. Like, I don't want you to discount one or the other. Because I feel like a lot of times we try to talk about, like, one thing is good and it has to be one or the other. And yeah. by definition means it's going to be both of these things. It's going to be all of it. You said something in passing, but you referred to just how, like, the 
Western European version of therapy, you know, therapy as it exists within like the medical license space is that, right? But we all know that the Black experience is a unique experience that requires a different attentiveness, right? And I would assume just... How have you, like, as a psychologist, managed to, because I, I'm getting ahead of myself, on your Instagram, like, it's very clear, I feel like, from your content, the way that you speak about things, the people that you are speaking to, that you are very much approaching therapy from a very, like, Black perspective. Like, I feel yep. like the topics that you talk about and the unique scenarios that you present are very often like unique to our experience and may not be considered (laughs) for somebody who has never had that personal experience or had to even think the way that we may have to think, which is different than somebody who is laced with privilege and doesn't have the same concerns, doesn't have the same PTSD, doesn't have the same type of shared histories, et cetera, et cetera. So how does that work in your clinical work? Like, how do you as a psychologist feel like you've had to expand your scope outside of the teaching that I'm sure was very just Western focused, like European focused? So the reason why I even got into psych, like if I never went to Fisk University, I probably never would have been there. Oh, yeah. You went to Fisk? Fisk. Yeah. My man is from Fisk. I'm talking to a Fiskite. Yes. Yeah. If I had never went to Fisk, I probably never would have been a psychologist. Like, I feel like most of the time you're trained to intro to psych and you get like Freudy Young and... You know, Maslow, all those like colonized creeps. But like in my in my class with Dr. Sheila Peters, I learned about uh, Joanza Kanjufu. I learned about um, oh. Kenneth and maybe Fix Clark. I learned about the Dahl study. I learned about right. like implications of policy and psychology to make systemic change with oppression. Right. And that was the first time I came to psych and was just like, oh, I could do this. Being from Philly, very much like black, black, blackity black. And like we always yes. knew, I always knew that my job would be something that contributes to the black experience overall when it comes to policy and stuff like that. But it was never even approached as the fact that, like, the integration of mental health, intersectionality of our people, and policy could make systemic, long-lasting change. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Like, this makes sense. And I tailored all my experiences that way. Like, you have to take clinicals. Every uh-huh. single one of my clinicals were either, like, the, I was in... I What's a clinical? Most of my, like, oh, when you practice therapy with real people. I should say practice okay. therapy. I'm supervised. Like, I don't have my license yet, right? I'm supervised by a licensed clinical psychologist. They go over my cases. um, We record sessions and stuff like that with actual patients to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, To make sure I'm learning and applying models and identifying goals and being, you know, just all around. Do you always talk this fast? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You, I mean, I need you to deep breath. I need you to deep breath. (laughs) Because you're saying really important stuff. And I'm like, I can't keep up. I know they can't keep up. Man, and you know, this is not more... My mom is about to say, now, <laughs> I tell you every day. She don't say like that. <laughs> no, because I, I talk you. fast, too. I talk fast, too. And it's like, what I consider slow, people are like, no, that's normal. I'm like, is I think What I consider slow, like, it, it sounds obnoxious to me. And people are <laughs> like, oh, thank you for talking like a human. <laughs> For once. And to me, it's just like, it seems like I'm being rude. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm being obnoxious. You're not, you're, you're not being condescending. I'm t- yeah, I, that's I'm what it sounds like. You. And I'm like, yeah, no, I always do. Like, very, very, okay. very Philly. And my mom's never going to let this, is this going to make the, my mom's never going to let the lady stand. Because she loves you. <laughs> Hi, mom. And she's going to be like, well, I mean, I, you ain't listening to me for years, but I mean, Amanda <laughs> the Seals also said that she need to slow down. So no, I'm not even saying. I'm just saying for the sake of this podcast, live your life the way you've been living your life. I was told to live my life, mom. 
I yes, was told you, to you, I'm just saying for the sake of this podcast, I yeah. want folks to be able to hear what yeah. you're saying because it is not lost on me that so many people wanted me to speak to you because they want to amplify the work that you do, your point yeah. of view, and the uniqueness of your own perspective. So I want people that are listening to be able to grasp it. And I was just like, yeah. I feel like she's talking too fast. Oh, yeah. For me, I, for I, us I to grasp. My husband, at first, when I first met, he's from Nashville, so he's a local. And like he... At first, I think he thought I was nervous, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm very rarely nervous. This is how I talk." <laughs> and I'm like, "This Look ain't at nervous. You making you make me up, nervous, keep honey. <laughs> honey, no, I'm good. <laughs> this is how I talk." But yeah, <laughs> so we do clinicals. Like in in order to learn how to be clinicians, we take the classes, but we also have to work with people one on one. Yeah, and you are you're paying to work with a licensed professional. So if you're coming to our clinic, you're working with the training clinic, and it's understood that I'm being supervised, right? Um, and they're making sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Gotcha. You can tailor your experience the way you want to. We have to get a certain number of hours. I had to get like 2,000. Wow. Before my doctorate, I had a couple of thousand. And then I applied to, during my doctorate, I had a couple of thousand. Then I applied to internship where I was at Hopkins. And then I had to earn 2,000 more. And then I did a postdoc. And then I had to earn 2,000 more hours. Gotcha. And then that's all before being licensed. Like all this is before being licensed. Wow. Um, okay. And I very much tailored my experience to be like, I'm working with Black people. I'm doing community mental health. So like I was, I was like, you can pick where you're going to be. It's either going to, it's Baltimore, it's, it's DC, it's mm-hmm. state community centers. Like, and the reason why people will be like, oh, well, your experience is your own, but you customize it. If you know, if I know, which I did, that I wanted to focus on Black mental health. I wanted to right. focus on tangible options. I wanted to focus on people who when I left, I had to learn how to be like, oh, this is what we charge. Because most of my patients couldn't pay me. I'm working in city organizations. So I'm not used to, <laughs> right. I wasn't even used to dealing with money because like, got it. Yeah. It was always just like covered. So I like, need this. Like, I got this. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm like, no, I never, I mean, nobody can ever pay me, whatever. So it was just like, oh, but now you do have to charge people. And I'm like, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. So um, I very much made it so that I was studying when it comes to the clinical aspect, these certain populations. When it came to my research, because I had to do like publications and things of that nature, minority mental health disparities, the disparity between Black people being diagnosed with behavioral disorders, which are more stigmatizing versus affective disorders like anxiety and depression. Um, I made sure I did a clinical in the juvenile detention center. I made sure, like I went where I feel like we're most of the time marginalized or where we're most of the time placed where we shouldn't be. When I was doing assessments, um, because one of the biggest things I always saw, like after reading Push Out um, and after, you know, seeing the school to prison pipeline, I'm like, shout out to Monique. Right. What's the disparity? It's the way people are getting assessed. So, like, if your skin is weaponized, which it is, right, like if I can't drop my weapon because my skin is what you fear, no matter what I say, you're already going to be having a preconceived notion. Right. Like Timothy has depression. Jamal has oppositional defiant disorder. But what's the difference if they're showing they're presenting symptoms? It's the assessor. Right. Like it's the bias. So one of the biggest things I did was like, let me let me figure out these assessments. So when I get this IEP for my patient and they tell me they have this, I'm like, oh, that's absolutely wrong because this wasn't normalized on this population. I actually worked with this patient and that's wrong. And the assessments you did wasn't interpreted the right way. So like my we're very much like a receipt kind of person. I I very much was like, I need to have all the receipts because you're wrong. And I want you to know from a from like bachelor's to master's doctorate publications. Yep. I know you're wrong and I'm going to prove that you're wrong. And this is why we're going to change this. So I made it a point to customize all my experiences to like, uh, what's the demographics like there? How many people look like me? Not that many. I'm probably going to work at a different clinic. Yeah. That's not really that's not really going to give me the experience I want. And people who don't work with those populations, it's a choice. Hmm. Because I chose to specialize in what I specialized in. 
And you chose to not be well-versed on that population too. So when people say, oh, I didn't know, yeah, that was a choice. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I keep hearing that there's a movement, but that we haven't reached it yet, but that like we are the that Black women are the lowest represented in the therapy field as far as clinicians. Is that accurate? I know at least for like psychologists, like PhD or PsyD carrying psychologists, 5% are Black. And that's including men as well. Okay. Um, it's even worse for men. Uh, when oh. It's even worse for Black men as psychologists. Um, but I know for of the population, like 100% of psychologists, wait, whether they have a PhD or PsyD, the last data said 5% were Black. And okay. women would be less because that combined both. So, yeah. I mean, think about the amount of time it takes. It takes a lot of time to to get this. And I've never encountered more racist than I did in academia and getting my degree. Like more. I see more racist in the boardroom than at the bus stop. Right. No, it's true. I mean, I think people don't realize that racism has the uncanny ability to just find its way into any space. It's very flexible. It's very, very flexible. And I think when people think about therapy and they consider it, the first thing that pops in their mind is that, oh, I'm going to be sitting in front of a white person who is not going to understand what I'm saying. And they're going to say some racist shit. And now we're going to end up fighting in the, in, <laughs> we're going to end up fighting in the, in the um, office. And I don't blame them. Right. Because yeah. I know for me, like my therapy journey was, I at first went to a therapist because I had like a traumatic situation happen and she was like this little white girl and, you know, she was real nice, but I didn't know what to expect from therapy mm-hmm. at that point. So I didn't even really know like if she was effective or not. I just knew that I left there with no tools, right? Yeah. Like I left there with nothing that made me like, there was no questions for me to be asking myself. Like there was no like affirmation. Like I just felt like, okay, we had a conversation. Now uh-huh. what? And I remember saying, like, this therapy thing is bullshit. Like, this, if this is what it is. And I was like, if this is what it is, it's some bullshit. I just spent this money to sit here and tell this lady my thoughts. And she sat there and was like, mm, yes. Mm. And I'm supposed to feel better. Yeah. And I remember emailing her after and saying, you know, I must tell you that this is my first time coming to therapy. And I genuinely, like, thought that there would be something I would leave with that I would be able to, like, have tools. And she... I think was new as well. And so she was like, well, and she, I will say this, she did actually respond to me and say, okay, well, here's some questions to ask yourself. Like, here's some things to consider in this healing process, et cetera. But it made me like not want to go to therapy anymore. And I didn't start again until someone referred me to a black woman who, by the way, has been my therapist since 2015. And even though there's been like other people that I've seen in the midst of that, like I I somehow always end up going back there. I think part of it too is because of comfort, but I think the biggest part was because it was a completely different experience the second we started because there was almost a, there was an understanding from her that was very like expressed to me that we're black women, this is a different, I originally went to therapy because I was like, people don't like me and I don't know why. And she was able to off top start from the angry black woman angle. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people are afraid to go to therapy because they're afraid that there's only going to be white voices to speak to. And I'm trying to like encourage folks to search beyond that, but it feels like the pool is so small. How can people, black people particularly, like feel comfortable in the therapy space? So you spoke to so many really good flipping things. But let me answer. You can cover all of them. I will sit back. Okay, because I will say one of the biggest things uh, that I feel like, um, because I actually don't feel like you need to be a Black person to work well with Black people. Uh, I think one of the issues is being like educated in a certain space because with Black people, it's also having the historical aspect of what contributes to our difficulties. Like my specialties are very much Black mental health, racism-related stress, anti-racist and anti-oppressive frameworks, right? And it's not possible to talk about your quote-unquote imposter syndrome without knowing that imposter syndrome was coined off of European-American women, middle to upper class, and why they felt uncomfortable in the workplace, to know that that's an inappropriate assessment for Black people. You also can't look at your discomfort in the workplace without looking at, oh, I wonder why this patient has difficulty wearing their hair, without looking at the differences between texturism and then identifications of like institutional oppression on Black people in the workplace, right? And then you also wouldn't know that if it wasn't an interest to also understand why that patient stated that they had difficulty advocating for themselves because they don't want to have the angry black woman trope. But you also need to know the stereotypes of angry black woman, Jezebel, welfare queen, all that. Like, you have to know all that just to have a black woman walk into the space and just say, I have I'm uncomfortable in my work environment. And then you have to you have to know this. Right. Like, so people are coming at it from the wrong way. They're just being educated in the European American centric aspect. And you don't take the time to read other things like you don't you don't take the time to know what these stereotypes are you don't take the time to know that colorism exists everywhere and the only people who benefit from it are the people who instilled it in us in every single culture in the first place you don't take the time to know what you know like so i think one people are educating themselves on it but with us it's very much our livelihood it's very much instilled in us so we have to know we very much have to read the room i think not knowing and not being educated about the black experience or even any experience is a privilege and it's a privilege not afforded to us because we very much have to mask and code switch and all that and because of that it's one of the reasons why i say black people are very good at seeing like inauthenticity because when you have to wear a mask all the time you recognize when other people are wearing it takes and it's one, one of the reason why most of the time i'm like oh yeah this one this one colleague was like you you know you just you've been picking up on stuff a lot you really call people out i'm like oh cuz i can tell when people are being fake and i don't have the time uh, and most of the time they're like, that just seems to be a, is that a cultural thing? And I'm like, well, we have to be hypervigilant because it can right. be life or death. So we have to read the room. So that's one of the issues I would say. I often tell patients and individuals, and I make posts about this because all of these all went to social media is because my case load filled up and I couldn't help as many people as I wanted to when I started getting anxious. And I'm like, what the mm. freak am I going to do? Because I can't see anybody else and I can't be you know, detrimental to my own mental health, but I still have to help people. So I went to social media and now I got to fight for my life every day just for liking hip hop and being smart. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the things I say is consult sessions, like which are like therapy samples where you look for a therapist and then you ask them questions. Those are actually pretty typical now. Like it, it, you have to see if your therapist or the person that you're looking at does a consult and you're basically interviewing them. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, I want to see your vibe beforehand. And if you think that some of your contributing factors are things that people may not have experience with, ask them. Like, I have a whole document on my website, but it's typical questions like, you know, let's get to this money. How much does it cost? How, what do you set insurance and stuff like that? It's also like a vibe check thing. Like, how did you feel you walked into the room? How did you feel when you walked out of the room? Did time go by fast or slow? Because when time goes by fast, typically I'm feeling comfortable. If I'm watching yeah. paint dry, that's not going to be the clinician for me. But also because I focus on racism relationships, I also talk about like ask questions about that. 
what's your opinion regarding the implications of racism on mental health? Do you have difficulty discussing oppression? Or do you identify different levels of oppression? Do you think that people putting their privilege or racism on me has anything to do with the presenting symptoms I stated? Have you ever worked with someone that looked like me before? And if like, and refer out. And it's even just like, I even want to see how you respond to it. You may not even have a perfect answer, but like, did you talk, did you like dance around the question because you were clearly uncomfortable addressing your privilege in the world? Not for me. There's no way that like racism or oppression or something is never going to come in the room when I'm working in therapy. It's going to come up because it comes up in my life every day. And if I'm talking to you about my life every single day in therapy, you need to feel comfortable discussing this. I shouldn't have to correct you every single time. I don't want to teach you new words because it also makes me <laughs> feel like, in my opinion, clinicians and medical health professionals and stuff like that that aren't anti-racist shouldn't have their license, right? Because racism should make everyone upset. Racism is detrimental for everybody. So if you don't know this because you don't educate yourself outside of the office, I mean, I know I shouldn't know about you as a human, but human-wise, you kind of suck and I don't want to work with you, you know? So it's like, I'm not quizzing I've you. Had people, you I've had be people push of. back on that before. Not me. I've made mention of that on Instagram and had people push back like, well, what does, you know, what does one have to do with the other? One is someone's personal, the other is professional. I'm like... If you personally come from a space where you cannot see where I come from personally, then how would we professionally be able to work together in this particular medium? Now, if you're racist and I need my roof fixed and you know how to fix roofs, I may not want to yep. give money to you because you're racist, but it's not going to affect the way that you can fix my roof, right? Like you're mm -hmm. not going to have any less skill of fixing my roof because you're racist. However, you will absolutely have less capability of being able to help me get on the journey to my self-awareness if you cannot even identify that the thing I'm having to deal with every day that's in my my fucking way exists like if how your privileges get in the way of understanding the, the encounter if you're like well maybe maybe she just really go. liked your hair and yes. she had to touch it are you fucking crazy like you know like i would be like are you can you not understand or maybe she called you girl because she felt receptive to no that's infantilizing no. i don't know you it indicates a familiarity that we don't have and also i'm an adult Right. Like it's it's also it's also it, obvious that that person wasn't genuine. And it's just like you felt like I'm not a human because you automatically don't see me as human. So you have to talk to me in my language because, you know, the black people, they say girl. So if I say girl, they'll get it. Hey, girl. I can already tell you don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. Don't call me <laughs> sis. You're insulting my don't mother. Call You're me insulting sis. my dad. Don't call me sis. You're not family. And, you know, but it's obvious, right? So, like, it's, it's, I feel like when you start in therapy, I understand it's very difficult to find someone, but you need to interview them. You need to have a consult session because, one, why am I, just like you felt like I paid this money and this was some bullshit, right? Consultation sessions, if they're not free, they're very much like a reduced price. Yeah. But you also need to see, like, they're supposed to be helping you. I got pushed back on saying, like, some, there was this whole thing about, like, if, the, if your clinician voted for Trump, would you want to know? And people were like, that doesn't make them a bad person. I said, you know what? Let's say that someone deciding to vote for Trump doesn't make them racist or sexist or all that. But it did make them identify that being racist and sexist and egregious and a colonizer wasn't a deal breaker for them. And that's enough for me because it has to be a deal breaker for you. That's like telling a Jewish person that it shouldn't matter if your therapist is a Holocaust denier. Like, of course it would matter. You yep. would absolutely not feel like this person can see you. 
<laughs> like this person does not even want to acknowledge the history and existence of your people. Why would that be okay? I cannot imagine. Listen, I remember when me and my man got back together, it was very close to election time. And I was like, who did you vote for? And he was like, I mean, that's personal. And I was like, how is that personal? They keep trying to trick us into thinking that these types of things are personal when they actually affect us in our personal ways. So they actually are very political and we need to know. And he was like, well, I don't know why that's the, and I explained it again. Cause you know, you got a lot of times with men, you got to explain things twice. And so I explained it again. And then he was like, well, okay, of course I didn't vote for Trump. I'm like, okay, see, here's the thing. I needed to know that. Yep. <laughs> Because I need to know, like my mom had this man, he was trimming her trees and he was Trinidadian and he was going on about Trump. And I was like, I can't pay you next. Like, you can't come back. I can't give you money that I feel like you are going to use now to possibly support this man. You see how to that feed the machine. And it's just like with therapy, there varies this aspect of like, oh, your objectivity um, is supposed to. That's the one of the things we're you, come humans, for. you come for. The, but we're humans. You, but we're humans. Right. Like, yes, we can differ on uh, on on pizza topping. We're not going to differ on the fact that you don't see me as human. That's not the same as pepperoni versus mushroom. Yo, that's not, that's those not opinion. the same things. It's it's not right. It's not so preference. Like, yeah, it's not a preference. It's I mean, to me, dehumanization and adultification are at the basis of every single issue. But the reason why it's different in saying like, oh. I wouldn't want someone who was a Nazi supporter is because you you see that group of people as human. And the problem is you don't see me as human. That's Bingo. the issue. So it's like, well, what's the big deal? They should just be happy to get help. It's because you don't see me as human. And like, that's the root of most of the issues overall. So like, ask the questions. And if you get a, if you get a vibe that they suck, don't work with them. And you might get that afterwards. I've been with my psychologist since I was in red since I was in my PhD program because, like, I had to deal with grief. And I'm working with her now because of dealing with, like, post-traumatic, uh, what's it called, it? birth trauma. And I was talking about, like, an issue and she said, yeah. She said, but you've been having this issue for years. Like, we was talking about this when you was in grad school. Right. I said, ma'am, <laughs> Like, are you... She said, no, we're not colleagues. Stop playing with me, Raquel. I said, dang. All right. Well, you right. Let's bring that goal back then because I need to work on it again. But you know so, what you mean. Okay, well, that, that's a great... Okay, I'm going to pivot here because the goal part. Uh-huh. I feel like therapy became more effective for me when I had a goal. Yeah. And, and not to say that it wasn't helpful before, but I feel like as I got more healing... And as I got more like clarity of self, I became also more aware of what goals lay ahead of me that I wanted to attain. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like that's a commonplace thing that, you know, going into therapy with a goal can be helpful or is it just kind of like it depends on the person? No, I I, you have to go into therapy with a goal. I mean, Mm. or else you just you just blowing money in the wind. Right. Like therapy and goals like. Like, what are I some pretzels? Like, they, that's a very Philly, that is a very Philly thing. So I guess, I guess when I went to therapy the first time, my goal was trying to figure out why people don't like me. That would have been the goal, right? That was the goal though, right? Like, okay. most of the time, so like, say you know that you need help, you need outside help. Like, you knew that that was something you had to work on. And some people may not know exactly what's going on, but they know that something has changed. Most of the time when I'm talking about therapy, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, ask yourself some questions, right? Like, mm-hmm. to identify goals. Was there a conflict I handled recently and I like the way I handled it or I didn't? Is there behavior I want to increase or decrease? If somebody waved a magic wand and these things were improved in your life, what would they be? Or mm. even something as simple as like, do I like myself? Do I like the people around me? Is there something I want to do more of that I don't feel like doing? Or 
one of I was actually just talking to my friend about this because like he was talking about therapy and I was like, oh, so when is the last time you updated you guys talked about your goals or the progress with goals? And he said never. And then I, you know, just sent him a voice memo of screaming. <laughs> uh, and I was just like, well, OK, so let's say you were having a conversation with me and I was like, how was therapy? You said therapy was great. I would say, how did you know it was great? And you would say, oh, I stopped doing this. I started doing this. I started doing this. Right. Like you can also play yourself through a conversation. Like if you were going to end therapy, say therapy's over like a year or something like that, or you're taking a break because you can take breaks too. If somebody that's had a gonna conversation be, that's with gonna you, be my next question. So I'll yeah, come back to I, that. I've had to take breaks. Therapy is also work. And sometimes like, we no, need I, I want to come back to that because I feel like some people, we need to talk about this, the guidance around like what is expected in terms of like therapy and how it's applied within like your healing regimen. But we'll come back yeah. to it. So I typically say, um, you know, and if somebody asked you, how did you know therapy worked? What would you say? Like, what what changed? Because the whole aspect of therapy mm. is either to have some growth mentally, physically, right. or any of that, but something would have changed. So if you have a conversation, therapy was great. I just ended therapy. Oh, how was it great? How did you know? Because this changed. Put that, th- those are your goals. Those are right. the things that you want to change, right? But like pretzels on water ice, like go hand in hand. Like that's that's therapy and goals. Like, and I'm sorry. Or peanut butter and jelly, because people out. I, I, I was gonna say he's everywhere. saying pretzels and water ice, and these people are not from Philly. Like they're not. <laughs> like, um, but like peanut butter and jelly, right? They go hand in hand because if not, like, what are we working towards? Like you came in because you were feeling a certain way, most likely. Or so, a lot of times people come in because they're like, oh, my partner told me I had to come in because I clearly have a problem, and like it's only so many times I'm gonna listen to this person, so I came <laughs> in, right? Like, or I'm feeling a certain way, I don't want to feel less of that, or. I had an experience that was amazing. And it's the first time I remember feeling like some aspect of joy in a while. And that brought my attention to the fact that like, I have not been joyful in some time. And wow. I didn't even realize it because I was so stuck in it, right? Like things that can bring your attention to it. And it may not only be the bad, like I've been feeling sad for a while. It could be something happened and I felt good. And I realized, wow, I have not felt good in a minute. And I want to work on that. But you ha- you have to have goals because one thing, it also lets me know if something isn't working. I had a psychologist before this one and you know, I fired her because it wasn't helpful. We identified goals and like we kept coming in and like weren't working on the goals. She was getting bogged down by the crisis of the day and the crisis of the week, which is very normal to yeah. happen with like training yeah. clinicians, but it really shouldn't happen with like an experienced clinician. Like my psychologist will very much like bring in the room like, oh, yes. And that you had this issue yesterday that aligns well with the fact that you're struggling with, anger, you know, black superwoman syndrome. And, you know, yeah. this ties into that. Right. But a lot Comprehensive of view should always be the top line. Yes, but it's easy to get bogged down about crisis of the day and the crisis of the week when you're new. This person wasn't new, so I was also concerned. But whatever. Um, <laughs> like, it's like, you know, when I train clinicians, I'll, I'll give them like a sign of like a cow and a fish. And it's like, beware the cows of the week, the crisis of the week and the crisis of the day, because that's not what they're coming to you for. And um, they need to get these overarching goals like they're paying for this, right? Like you're supposed to be providing them with this aspect. Therapy is I think everyone deserves therapy because there are many relationships that aren't reciprocal. Not good ones, at least. Like, it's always give and take. But in therapy, I'm here for you. Give and take could be like, you can ask me how my day was. That's what's up. You don't have to, though, because I'm here for you. I'm here to help you break down things. I'm here to collaborate you to identify plans. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do because that's not my job. My job is to look at something from an aspect of objectivity, provide some information, bring my expertise into the room. I'm going to be the expert in the room when it comes to psychology and therapy. But you are always the expert in the room when it comes to you. Right. So that's why it's like it's a collaborative experience. Like it has to you you gotta have goals. And anybody listening, if you don't have goals, they're doing you a disservice. And says, I'm sure you can't ask for a refund. Just bring the goals next time. Or talk about like, hey, I think this might be helpful for me to do if I feel as though it's not getting to the point. But it could be that they've identified goals for you. This has happened before. And 
they it sounds odd, but didn't share them with you. They're just kind of like guiding you. So that like yeah, I went through a lot place. of that. I yeah. went through a lot of that where I felt like we wasn't doing nothing mm-hmm. because I wasn't getting that like spark every week of feeling yeah. like we made progress. We made progress. We made progress, you know? And so it started to feel very like stunted. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, I realized it wasn't actually stunted. It was just like the part of the journey where I was like going through the desert before I got to the ocean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it just was like a part of the path. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I feel like for me, therapy has served like different purposes at different times. And that's why it's shown up in my regimen in a different way. Like there has been a stretch of time where it was like, I'm going to therapy because I have this very specific thing that I'm trying to get to the bottom of. And she's like, all right, we're going to get focused on getting to the bottom of it. And then we got to the bottom of it. And so it was like, all right, now here are the tools that I'm going to apply. And so I was able to kind of pause from therapy while I applied the tools and like see if they are working, if they're not working, et cetera. And I feel like for me, my therapist has always said like, therapy does not have to be a thing you're doing every week. It's not like the gym. It's not like, you know, you need to be like, constantly at it you do need to take breaks what you were saying something earlier about the breaks why do you feel like breaks are so important because therapy is work and you need time we need time to see if it actually is working like to apply the skills it can also be exhausting and i think sometimes because you know you're coming in with goals and that's great but you need time to process it too the real work and i know this sounds the real work happens outside of therapy like you say you come to my office once a week between sessions, like you may have homework, you may have stuff that you're like, oh, I want to ruminate on this or I want to journal with this. But that's happening outside of session. When you think about it, like one hour a week, every, like for seven days a week or whatever, that's like less than 10, less than 5% of your day for like an all entire week. You're doing all the work outside of session. It's one of the reasons why when my patients, like when they make progress, so I'm just like, and they're like, oh, this was amazing. Thank you. I'll say, no, honey, thank yourself. I only see you one hour a week. You did <laughs> right. all of this. Like, this is you. Thank yourself. Like, that was amazing. Um, but you need time to process it. You need time to apply it. Some stuff is more long-term and it may work for a little bit and then you may need to come back. Like we may start weekly or bi-weekly, but then we may do booster sessions where you decide like I only need you once a month. And you may decide to like, oh, I'll come back if I need you or not. But it, it's not meant to, just like everything has its peaks and its pits. Therapy has that too. And if you feel like you need a break, don't assume that you're avoiding something like, oh, I'm just avoiding the hard work and therapy. You just, you need a break. You're going to be the expert on you. If you need a break, you need a break. It's just what it is. I, I I don't believe that it's supposed to be every single, you know, you have to come weekly. You don't even, some people don't even start weekly. You have to apply the skills and see if they work. You also need to see, you may have a coping skill. It worked for a significant amount of time and then the efficacy fades. You may decide to come back. Yeah. Or somebody else walks into your life and you notice that you have a different response to them than you did before. And you would have never known that, that they didn't come into your life. So everything could have been fine. You might need to come back or you need to apply it. And you may notice that this skill works better at this time, but I noticed it started fading out around this thing. And then we break that down when you come back. But there's no, for everyone, there's not always a need. 
I noticed that people need the signs that they might need it less and less is like you come to therapy, you got less to talk about. And we just like, what's up? Uh, kicking it. Okay. Like, it's like <laughs> right, right, right. Like, I guess I'm fine. You know, I mean, I've, I've definitely been in therapy where I felt like I was having to like look for a problem. Yep. And it was like, don't, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> don't start trying to look for the problem. Like you either have it or, you know, you don't. Or maybe it's something that you're not even feeling like you need to deal with right, right now. Which is progress because sometimes people are coming in because it's like everything is urgent. Everything is a thing. I have to solve everything. Mm. And it might even be progress to me. like, you know, I actually don't think I need to deal with this right now. I actually feel <laughs> right, like right, right. I'm okay. Like, you may notice that. You may notice that, like, your negative thoughts, instead of having, like, 10 a day, you having five. And you like, well, I can manage five. Five is typical. I actually don't need to come in for the five. I needed to come in when I went to 10. Or you may notice that you may even be more comfortable with, like, what I consider is, like, a healthy level anxiety. Like, I am uncomfortable with this. And it's not debilitating enough so that I don't do it. It's just like, oh, yeah, I'm uncomfortable with it. And this is just how I manage it. Like, these are signs that it's just like, yo, did you do it? You, one of my patients self-corrected in session. And I said, look at you. She said, oh. I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need to interrupt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just so proud of you. You did such a good job. Self-correction is like, when when you self-correct, you're like, oh my God, all this money was worth it. (laughs) I was so proud. Like, I was just like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scream. I'm just very proud of you. You're doing so good. And she's like, all right. Right. I was like, okay. Okay. Okay, Keep going. Keep going. You were saying, you know, but like, even the fact that she self-corrected, that wasn't the first time she did that. I saw it in session, but she's doing it outside of session. Yeah. It's becoming practice now. It's not just like something that you're doing because the person is watching you do it. It's like yep. now it's in you and it's becoming a, it's something by rote. I mean, I think that's a part of therapy for me that really became like a light bulb moment was like, oh, we've been talking about this. We've been, you know, talking about the ways it shows up, the way it doesn't show up. We've been talking about the coping mechanisms. We've been talking about the ways in which this is connected to behavior in the past, et cetera. And sometimes it feels like none of these things are really connecting. And Mm -hmm. then the thing happens and in real time, you can see it. And before you weren't able to see it before it was like over you. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Like during the pandemic, I had like a breakthrough about my codependency. And the breakthrough was that I didn't know I was a codependent and I found that I was a codependent. So that was the breakthrough. Like, oh, you were codependent. Crazy. And so then once we were able to have that breakthrough, it was like all these things that I had been talking about individually with my therapist now all actually made sense because they were all actually under this umbrella of codependency. And it was like, oh, so this thing that I'm reacting to in this way that's harming me in this way and this thing and this thing and this thing, these are all splinters of codependency. And so if I can just now that we've reached this like epiphany, if I can focus on this thing, it will affect how I respond to all these things. And she was like, yes, but we needed to take this whole We have to take the journey. We have to, we have to keep For going. you to even be able to accept and see and identify like, oh, I'm a codependent. And I, one of the things that would happen was I would have like separation anxiety. Even if the person was completely trash and a terrible person, like I would still like have like incredible separation anxiety that I had told myself was a spiritual <laughs> feeling that I was not doing the right thing, you know, that I shouldn't yeah. feel this way. My gut is saying that, no, we are supposed to be, in, you know, in, in connection. We are supposed to be together. When in reality, what it was like, no, that's just separation anxiety because of your codependency. And 
you have a bond with someone that's a trauma bond and it's the bond breaking. That's what you're feeling. It feels yep. like it's some spiritual Harriet Tubman, you know, anointing the love scenario, but no, it's not. And I, for the first time when that happened, I was able to be outside of it and go, oh, this is that thing happening, which prevented me from reacting to it. And that's what had always happened in the past. I reacted to it in a way that was toxic, in a way that was not like beneficial to me. But it took the whole road of therapy for me to get to that point where I could see the thing that was harming me before it harmed me. And I think so much of us don't understand that we can have that power, right? And that yep. it's like the journey of self-awareness that gets us there and that therapy can be such an integral part of that journey to self-awareness. Would you agree? Yeah, because everyone deserves that. Everyone deserves a space. And uh, most of the time they're not afforded it. You know, sometimes people will say you need therapy. Like it's like an insult. And I say like, you know, everyone I deserves. I hate when people say that. Everyone deserves it. It's not even like a need. Like you deserve to have a space where you're able to go back and think about what contributed to your stress because everything's so like you got to do everything every single second. You deserve to be you able deserve. to have someone objective check in with you. You deserve to be able to address the fact that like it's not solely internal that's contributing to your anxiety. It's external. Like I feel like I don't belong right. in this space because it is an unwelcoming space. Right. right. Like what you're talking about. It's not about just is something happening in your head. <laughs> no. And that's one of my biggest issues when and this is one of the reasons why it's just like anytime. And I love that you said you, you when I went to your page, you're very much talking to a specific audience. Black, 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 any black. I don't have to ask you why you capitalize the B in black. That's me. <laughs> You know, like, I get it, right? Correct. Like, it very much is supposed to be. I want you to understand. Apparently, though, I'm no longer talking to Idris Elba, just for the record. Oh, are you Because not? he says that he's no longer a Black actor. He's just an actor. So he's oh, well, no, he could be that. We're no longer speaking to him anymore. Well, That's a side note. That was it, a it drives PR me crazy that people. It drives me crazy that people don't want to have a capital B in Black in everything they're doing when they're Black. It doesn't make any sense because if I, if I talk about any other... Oh, because I was just... <laughs> Like I, I like when I grade students' papers, I'll be like, this, 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 this is great. Also, you capitalize. Well, my previous professor, what they look like, who you gonna trust? You need to trust me. What they, <laughs> they don't, they do they say anything about capitalizing the W? You should tell them that you don't capitalize W and tell them why. Here's my post on this. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> but like you're talking about the difference between like branch work and root work, right? Like the root, mm. like you're like the umbrella is like the codependency. And sometimes you do need the branch work. Sometimes you don't need to know what's uh, everything that's contributing to the anxiety. Sometimes you right. just need to have enough so that we decrease it so that I can deal with the problem. I yeah. just need to decrease it enough so I can focus. But the root work is what you did with all that time and energy, right? Like it, it's yeah. what you did with the whole, oh, I, th I thought it was this, but it's actually a trauma bond. And it's tough because, yes, you should trust your gut. And sometimes she'd be, <laughs> she be tripping. She over well, here sometimes your gut like, no. is actually doing what it's supposed to do. You just don't know how to read it. Yeah. Like my gut was saying like, yeah, this is not someone you should be with. And you're uncomfortable right now because you're right. You shouldn't be with them. But I'm reading it as like, oh, no, this is this is the gods saying that I yep. should be with them. And it's like, no, you're misreading your gut. This is fear. You and know, that's what like, therapy does. Right. Like you have to learn how to interpret it, because if you yes. think about it, like. Say my enemy walks into the room and say the love of my life walks in the world. Your physical symptoms are going to probably likely be the same. Increased yeah. heart rate, dilated yep. pupils, all this other stuff. But the difference is perceiving like, so what are my eyes looking at? Am I looking at this fool or am I looking at this fool? You know, like either way, <laughs> you know, looking at the physical body symptoms, like you have to know how to interpret it. Right. And you have to get to the, to the roots. Most of the time when I'm talking about like root works versus branch work, I'm like, most of the roots with the patients I see, the reason why I specialize in what I did is oppression 
racism-related stress or something contributed to what, did, what, what severed their connection to something like that. Like, oh, I just thought I was depressed. Well, you're only depressed in a specific environment. This is new. There was a recent transition and also the world. Right. The world. You know, the world. But therapy helps you. Like, it's like, imagine if on day one, they said that your therapist said, this is a trauma bond. Your issue is codependency. Done. And it'd be like, first of all, <laughs> second of all, you have to come to it to yourself. Like, it very much is a winding journey. That's and sometimes the part. That's the part I feel stop. for a lot of people is not clear is that like your therapist is not there to answer the questions for you. Your therapist no. is there to help you find a path to answering those questions yourself that you can also refer back to without your therapist. You know, yeah. I think that's the thing. Like I had a therapist who I'm going to read the text right now. I had a therapist who once said to me, and I want to bring this up because I had to stop seeing the therapist because I felt like she was more interested in my love life. And like, not the journey, but the soap opera. (laughs) And so I felt like when I was actually responding to the things that she was saying, she wasn't Uh showing up for those things because it wasn't going to be as exciting. But one thing she said that I will never forget that made me be like, oh, this ain't it, is she said, my job is to direct the traffic between feelings and intellect so we can avoid crashes. Your job is to cruise and enjoy the ride. Winky face. You're doing all the heavy lifts. I mean, winky face. Okay. You're doing all the heavy, like when, just like I said, like when my patients are like, oh, this was great. You know, I made this progress. Thank you so much. And I'm like, no, thank yourself. Cause you're, you're doing the heavy lifting. Like so many times when I'm training new clinicians, I'm like, listen, I got into therapy to help people good. I hope you got in therapy to be patient too, because you're going to recognize two trends possibly before someone else does. Absolutely. And you still don't get to tell her not to go to his house because that's not what you do. Okay, this person has to decide whether or not this person is contributing to their well-being or their detriment. They have to decide whether they want them in their life or not. And they have to decide when they're going to come to that conclusion that they can't deal with that person anymore. You don't get to say, hey, have you ever noticed every time you hang out with this person, you end up in jail? Maybe you should you stop don't, You're out. saying you don't get to say that as a therapist? You don't get to say that? I wouldn't say stop hanging out with this person. I would say, and this is like typical if any of my patients notices. So I just want to just circle back and just check in on this. I've noticed that a lot of times when you engage with this person, these kind of behaviors or these kind of feelings come up. Have you noticed that as well? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because that, right, that makes in. sense to me. Yeah. But you'll have people, my, my students will be like, no, you tell you it's not good to hang out with them. Well, not good to what? Oh, well, it's harming them. Okay. But well, okay. So this is when we identify that a therapist is not a life coach. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't get to tell you what to do. First, and also, I don't tell you what to do, but also if someone tells you what to do, that's what a life coach does. They also, I don't know what the certifications are. I know who my credentials are and I know who takes my license if I don't do what I'm supposed to do. No, I I just know know that like people expect therapists to do the thing that life coaches do. People expect therapists to tell you like, do this thing next, do this thing next. And that's what life coaches do. They'll be like, okay, what you need to do now is you need to apply for these jobs in this area. And you're like, okay, Okay, coach. Like they're, they're setting the plays and you're running the play. Like that's essentially what life coaching is. That's not therapy. It's not. And I think both of them can have their role at some point. There are plenty of like licensed clinical psychologists psychologists and professionals who have a coaching business, right? But they're also providing different services and they have their different roles. But I'm not a coach and I don't have a coaching business. I very much am here to listen to you, to be objective, to identify certain trends and patterns, to provide you with different options that you may not have thought of, help you identify coping skills, collaborate with you on goals, keep sight of those goals, which I think is one of the most important things, like to talk about like, hey, you deviated from this. 
hold you accountable because one of the most important things I think the jobs of therapy as a psychologist is for me to pro- like help you identify the difference between providing yourself with grace and making excuses because those are two different things. Like you can provide yourself with grace and understand that like this is, you know, I, this was a lapse versus a relapse or you could continuously make excuses and you're not being held accountable. And we're going to talk about how that comes up in other spaces for you too, which may also come up as a contributor to detriment of your relationships, right? Like accountability and grace aren't the same thing, but you need to know, hey, maybe stop beating yourself up over this because objectively, I feel as though you came at this scenario the way you typically do. I feel like this is the appropriate outcome. You can't control everything versus like also objectively, no, I, I actually feel like um, I can understand different perspectives from this. And from this aspect, it seems like there was some inconsistency and maybe that's what the person was reacting to. I'm not saying anything is right or wrong. However, if in this space you contradict yourself and from what you told me, I can understand why somebody may be feeling frustration. How do you feel about that? Not sucks. Well, you were an ass. So they left you. Maybe stop being an ass <laughs> and they'll stop leaving you. And it's like, <laughs> well, okay, I'll work on that. I had someone recently say to me, um, well, my therapist told me that you and I was done listening because I'm not interested in the conversation that you had with your therapist about me that I wasn't even there to be a part of, right? And they were like, my therapist told me that you don't love me. And did I'm not talking about my man. For everybody who's listening right now, I am not talking about my oh, man. I was, I but I was, like, <laughs> I was like, this is, like, first of all, your therapist is a hack. If your therapist told you that, then your therapist is a hack because there's no version yeah, never. I've ever been to of therapy where your therapist is like, well, I'll tell you right now, that person don't love you. <laughs> You're like, mm, I don't know. And also, if I'm not there to be a part of the conversation, then don't fucking tell me about what somebody else had to say about our situation that isn't solution based. So if it's not solution based, then how is it helpful? I'm curious in your point of view, when you hear people say or use like the my therapist said, do you feel like I feel like when people do that, they're trying to use their therapist to co-sign their own bullshit. But I can see in certain instances where you're like, well, my therapist taught me. Well, because in certain instances, when it's applied to solution, when it's applied to solution, I get it. Like, yeah. well, you know, my therapist was telling me that the next time in this situation, it would be best if I manage this in, in this way. Right. Because like when you go to couples therapy, like that's all you're doing is, yeah. is referencing. Well, remember what the therapist said? Like, that's all oh, yeah, they expect you're doing. To be the referee. <laughs> yes. We are coming home to be like, see, see, the therapist has said that we should not do that. That's what you're doing. Like, but I feel like whenever I see people, because I see it a lot, a lot of time on the Internet, too. Like my therapist said, da, 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 da. And it's like, well. Who is this God, this faceless, yeah. ethereal person in the background who is now who you're using for Jesus to base your actions on? I don't like that. Yeah. As a therapist, how do you feel about that? I typically, even when they're discussing people, I'll say from what you shared, with me, because bottom line, I am the main character. So even when I'm talking about my old therapy, I'll be like, and let me tell you what this idiot did. Like, you know, but like, it's just like, well, are they an idiot? Do they actually say it that way? Sometimes I'll be like, no, he didn't say it that way, but that's how I heard it. Sometimes I have enough awareness. Other times I'm like, yes. Right. My husband told me that he hated me by not doing the dishes. Right. But like, no matter what, I'm getting the perspective of, from your perspective, right? So even when I comment on it, I'll say, oh, from what you're sharing with me, it sounds like. Yeah. I can't comment yes. on their But people intent. forget that part. Yeah. Like people I can't throw that comment on out. their intent. I can, I can never comment on the person's intent. I can only comment on like what the impact was to you. It's one of the reasons why people are like, oh, well, I want to come to therapy and tell them everything, Uh, like, you know, tell the person 
then I'm not like that. And, and at the end of the day, it would still be the same thing because your intent may be different. However, this is not your therapy. No matter what, whether you meant to stab me or you didn't mean to stab me, I'm still sitting here bleeding. And as a psychologist, <laughs> I'm trying to hand you some napkins. You know, like you got to deal with the thought process of why do you think running around with a knife is appropriate? You got to deal with that intent. I have to deal with other psychologists being like, my patient is standing here bleeding. I don't care if you meant it or not, they're bleeding. And I have to help them deal with the impact of the bleeding, right? So even when you're talking about like someone else's, they may have said it differently, unless you're dealing with like communication and perception. I'm dealing with the impact. I'm dealing with how it made you feel. I'm dealing with like the the repercussions of that. I'm not going to sit here and say it sounds like, one time my patient did say like, oh my gosh, my was, you know, this person is such a, like, they said they're such a dickhead and they do it all this and this and this. And I was like, it does sound like dickhead behavior. I am going to say that. But they said dickhead. So I'm like, they also, this is also a patient who it always, like, <laughs> they very, that, but you know, like, it, she was like, you know, if I'm saying you don't do this and I'm saying, say I say, Dr. Martin, the dickhead does this, this, and this, and they did this, this, and this. Is that not dickhead behavior? And I'm saying, like, well, from your definition, it does sound like that is dickhead <laughs> behavior. But I want to be clear. You know, like, you know, it from your, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, right? you have to, and you have to do that. I mean, from as definition, a licensed like, professional. Not, I know you're not going to call them out. I'm just saying, okay, like, but all I'm, she said, just give me this one. I just need this one. Okay, I'm like, all I'm, I'm saying Hilarious. from your definition. Yeah, it sounds like that. But it's also like, I that always think like from what you shared with me. With Delta customer service. I'm only seeing stuff from the lens of what you shared with me. I can only go off of the perception of what it was. And at the end of the day, your perception is what's most important. Now, therapy helps to clarify that perception, too. It helps you to let you know that maybe I jumped to conclusions, but that's the journey, right? Like, you may come in thinking like, oh, everybody around me is an ass. And later down the line, you're like, I think a lot of times people are responding to something that I'm putting out, and I did not know I was putting out that behavior or that. And then now I notice that like maybe people aren't as awful around me. Maybe it's I was putting something out that I didn't know. Right. Like I didn't understand that maybe this is being perceived the wrong way. I didn't understand that like I'm being people are responding to how I engage. And if I'm not really aware of how I'm engaging, then I don't really understand their response. Even bringing in the fact that like we're modeling a therapy relationship. That was my experience. Sometimes in therapy, it's kind of just like, okay, say someone's coming in every single day. And even you notice like as a person, like, Oh, okay, well, that can be seen as, I don't know, abrasive or, oh, it seems like maybe you're contradicting yourself or, oh, but you're, I'm, I'm going to see you. This is probably how you engage all the time. I might even bring this up like, it seems like a lot of times you're being perceived in a way that you think is inaccurate. And I can understand how maybe sometimes people are perceiving this way and you don't know where it's coming from. But however, the consistency of everyone perceiving it this way makes me think maybe we need to spend a little bit more time addressing like the scenarios where that perception can continue to be prevalent, right? And some stuff you just have to know, acknowledge whether it's going to change or not. Like me talking fast. This is this is something that I actually put as a disclaimer before presentations, because everybody is like, hey, you talk real fast, right? You should probably keep up. So that like, you know, but like also be, but I have to be aware of like, hey, everyone's saying I talk fast. Is Am I talking fast or are they listening slow? No, Raquel, you're talking fast. <laughs> That's right. why they're saying that, because you talk fast. So either adjust or Give a heads up like, hey, hit record. I'm about, to, I'm about to get in the booth. It's about to go crazy. Like, you know, like it's just or you change it or you make it a conscious effort and stuff like that. But the perce- the aspect is like even the therapeutic relationship, they're not only gauging what you're saying, but they're also gauging like how they're receiving you and like the way that maybe like the way you're expressing things like group therapy is very helpful with this because the other patients in the group will be like, 
Well, yeah, dude. Every time you come in here, you seem like you got a funky attitude. And after being mm. in here with you for session for six weeks, I realized that that's not what you're trying to give off. But when people first meet you, they're not going to say, oh, let me give them six, seven chances. We have to do that because right. we're in session with you. But like our perception of you is like, hey, why are you like, you know, and like I didn't mean it to come off that way. We get that. But we only get that because we spend a lot of time with you. A lot of relationships, people are not going to continue to invest that time. They're going to be like, you seem awful. And you're going to keep getting that. I mean, that was my own personal experience, like realizing like, OK, clearly how I think I sound is not how I actually sound. And so uh-huh. that's why we keep ending up in these situations. And it took my therapist and I being honest. Right. Because that was the other thing, too. I think a lot of folks show up to therapy and they're not ready to receive honesty and they're not ready to be honest with themselves. Yep. And honestly, if you're not ready to do that, therapy will not be effective for you. I genuinely believe that. If you are going to lie to your therapist, keep your money. Yeah, Molly. <laughs> like that episode keep- of Insecure pissed me off. I was like, what you mean? Well, she, she did. Oh. I just lied to her. I it's just like, a waste do- of money. It's a waste of your time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Our people on these internets have some questions for you that I thought were really great. And let's jump into a couple of them. So what are benefits of going to family therapy with a parent? When is it important to determine if the relationship is worth saving or if it's time for establishing more strict boundaries? Those are two very strong questions. Okay. So I would say... It's necessary to decide that you need to go to therapy with a parent when they are, well, one, sometimes people try to have like a communication and and they're doing their individual therapy thing, right? And you may role play in session and like, okay, well, you have this conversation and stuff like that. um, And they keep doing that and they're not making progress. Or sometimes their healing very much hinges on another person, which I'm not a psychologist or even a human who feels as though like you have to forgive someone to heal. The only person yeah. you forget to heal is yourself for seeing the signs or not seeing the signs or not walking away or coming back. Like that's the only person you have to forgive. So I would say if you're interested in having an outside perspective that can contribute to you both growing as a unit, like I would say do that. However, if you're coming into therapy and one, you think I'm going to be the referee or two, it's because you really want, I want to bring my parent in so we get to a point where they have, we have this life altering moment where they forgive me and then I can heal. <laughs> Your healing can't hinge on somebody else. So it really depends on what you're trying to get from it. Like no matter what, whether it's like a person, whether it's like a, a family member, or a friend or something like that, your healing only hinges on you. And um, a lot of times when people feel like there's two different things, like uh, I need to forgive them because it's in the Bible. I'm not in the Bible. And then also <laughs> like, you know, I, 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 I am not to, in the Bible. <laughs> that's not me. Um, or just having they want like this life altering moment of like that. Now I can go forward and heal. But your your healing can't hinge on someone else. The only person that needs to hinge on is you. Right. So if, if that's what you're can your healing for, hinge on Jesus. N- not not in my opinion i mean you have okay you have christian psychologists and psychologists who are christian i'm a psychologist who's a christian i'm not a christian psychologist like so if someone identifies that's something that contributes to them being helpful in therapy and stuff like that i have no problem bringing that into the world but i never start there 
because I, I think you can have both. And I, I feel like if, you know, you can have Jesus and, and, and a psychologist, Jehovah and a psychiatrist, Yahweh and a counselor, like you can have it all. However, I, unless they specifically state, because in the beginning when we're doing assessment and stuff, I'll see, like, is there anything culturally or spiritually that you feel as though would be helpful for me to contribute to this collaboration journey to healing? Because I always feel like it's collaboration journey. And if they need something like that, I'm like, good. Okay, well, now I know. I will identify that when we're talking about like goals and when we talk about support, because you also need to know what their coping is. So they're just like, uh, yeah, church. Okay, well, I've noticed that also you mentioned church is really important to you and you have a quote in a minute. Is that something that can also be contributing to not giving you like the support you need? But if they don't bring that up, you right. know, because a lot of people also have difficulty with like spiritual bypassing. That's the thing that comes in where like people will say like, if you had prayed more, if you had done more or something like that, then you would have yeah. been relieved of that pain. And I, I just want to be cognizant of that's a very much an experience and it's very much an experience in the Black community. So I yes. want I don't want to like support that. So I always typically when I ask about like culturally specific things or a spiritual specific things that you think I need to know to help, you know, prop you up and collaborate better. If they bring that up, then I'll do that. But a, a lot of times, sometimes when people, when they bring up like, does it hinge on Jesus? Sometimes people have just been indoctrinated to feel like they have no control over their life or that they're overcoming their pain. Part of it was, well, you know, God willed that to happen. And that's not always the case. It could just be that like, somebody used that as a scapegoat to justify the fact that they didn't protect you in the way they should have. And God Oof. had nothing to do with that. That was that person. And it's hard to see that, right? Like, it's like when older people say like, oh, I'm, I'm too old to change. And I'm like, well, it's hard to see that you can change at any age. It's harder to see that someone is making that statement. They're saying that my comfort is more important than your discomfort and I don't care to change. And that hurts. You don't want to Please listen that. to our episode, Side Effects of Parents. Yeah. Uh, that was a great reference made <laughs> unintentionally but intentionally to side effects of parents because I yep. feel like a lot of us have parents who when we get to a certain level of healing we're able to look at them and be like oh this thing that I like didn't realize is the thing that's been fucking with me this whole time is yeah. a thing that you're doing and that thing that you're doing I can't get to the bottom of but you can and when they're like well I'm just too old to get to the bottom of it it's like oh you're okay with me having to deal with that then you getting to the bottom of it I mean I just had this conversation with my mother y'all so listen it is very real and it is everybody okay it nobody's nobody's exempt okay culturally no. financially gender wise i think a lot of us have had to do these have these conversations with our parents okay this is another question someone asked how long does it typically take to diagnose someone with a disorder so i guess a personality disorder Oh, a personality disorder? Did it well, they like said disorder. I mean, I don't. they said disorder in general, so... Okay. Now, I don't typically really like the diagnoses because I see when people do them poorly. I feel like I'm adept enough to know, like, the contributing factors versus both, like, mental health-wise and outwardly. I would say, see, this is a great thing. So, one, there's an issue with the fact that, like, with insurance, you if you accept insurance, you have to actually diagnose someone at the first appointment. And then insurance can also decide that if your diagnosis doesn't follow along with the treatment plan that they've decided, they're not going to cover the person. So that's an issue. But I would say no less than six months, maybe. And also with personality disorders, it's important to realize they can't be diagnosed until, like, over 18. So I see these people um, coming in and just like, oh, you know, is my 16 or 15-year-old a narcissist or, like, do they have bipolar disorder? And actually, you have to be an adult to get these diagnoses. I also want to say that, like, people sometimes I think they confuse what they identify as, like, narcissism with this just, like, an objective asshole. Um, and everyone's Facts. kind of narcissists. Uh, Facts. And it has to be my least favorite word in life now. Because it's a, it's a legit diagnosis. It, it, but it's also, it's like... Overused. It's, it's overused. It's overused. The number of times There's I There's, like, get a asked series this. of videos on YouTube about how Amanda Seals is a narcissist. And I was like, I don't 
that word means what you think it means. I don't think means. it means what you think it means. Like, are you not picking up what I'm putting down? Fine. Do you have an issue with my the way I put stuff out? Fine. Does that make me a narcissist? Absolutely no. not. It's not the case. So I would say maybe six months. But I would also say if you're trying to get a specific diagnosis, the only thing that diagnoses help for, in my opinion, is to get the resources that you need because you very much can get ADA accommodation and stuff like that with diagnoses. However, you can tell me what the symptom presentation is and we can do a historical context and and go from like assessment and therapy and working together. And I can treat you 100% without putting a title on you. So well, if you I need want a, a title. I'm very, I want a title. Like I'm very, I, say, like, need... I really feel like I'm on this goddamn spectrum and I feel like I would be able to explain a lot of things if I had like a proper diagnosis around ADD, ADHD, or being neurodivergent or all those things. What is that? So a lot of times, okay. So like say when I'm doing an assessment and parents come in and, or adults come in and they're like, I'm doing an assessment. When I come in, I start first with, I have all the stats and stuff like that. I have all the testing. I do typically, the testing is like two days, maybe like six to eight hours. So I have all the stuff and I've done assessments with you and family and stuff like that. I come in with like, here's what you came in with. Here are the presenting symptoms. Here's all this stuff. This, tip, you know, it comes up this way. All I'm doing is, and this assessment showed, yep, that's, that's typical. That may be a little bit atypical. But all I'm doing is bringing attention. I'm giving a name to something that you already knew was present, right? Like sometimes yeah. people need the name because it gives yes. them some kind of relief. And then they're like, I can look up resources directed to that. And I think that is yes. totally understandable. But if you were trying to give yourself a title, like a diagnosis to identify with that diagnosis, to be the point of like, oh, that explains everything. Sometimes people use that as a cop-out to be, I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, you have this diagnosis and you're also a human being who can utilize the resources available to you to address it, right? Like, so one, I think it's helpful with resources, but two, I always get an ink on it where people will say something like post on my page and they'll be like, or something like, well, I have ADHD, so nope. And don't you dare insult every person I work with who has ADHD and is working every single day to have accommodations and to show up as a true human being. You forgot to say, I am racist and afterthought i have adhd and that's where this came from you know like that that that, that oh. had nothing to do with your mental health <laughs> I diagnosis like, i will definitely say like i think i have adhd so that's no. why this didn't get done they will and say, this did well you know you you know you did this and this 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 and as someone with adhd i'm like oh you're offended because you're right that has nothing you have an adhd has nothing to do with that that's that's where you're wrong yeah you're offended because you're racist you're you know it was like when roseanne roseanne Barr came on she tweeted this really racist tweet and then she was like, I'm sorry. Afterwards, she was like, I was on sleeping pills. And then I think right. it was like Ambien. And Ambien was like, hey, our side effects include this, this, and this. None of that is racism. <laughs> you know? Like, people will really... I'm like, that has nothing to do with that, right? Like, so I think <sighs> it's helpful for accommodations. I also feel like it's a effort, definitely a comfort level. It's a normalization of, like, one of the difficulties with, like, diagnoses and, and not having a diagnosis is you feel so isolated. You can't put a, your finger on it. It's just like, I just need to know. And even though I know I'm feeling this way, I, it just gives me some relief to not feel so isolated, to know that this is something that has been named. So a lot of people deal with it to identify resources. And you can also, you know, if you don't need a diagnosis, people, I feel like it's on the, you know, the end. Like some people like, I don't need to know, just give me the resources. Other people like, no, I need to know because I'm about to research this. I'm yeah. about to go on Google Scholar and I need to know. Because you want to know. You want to know more about yourself. Which That's is something normal. I want to know is... You can get an assessment. No, what I was about to say is something I want to know is in the wake of Mr. Kanye West and his behavior, a lot of people would assign his behavior to his mental health diagnosis as bipolar manic depressive. And I would Mm -hmm. love to hear your thoughts on that as a clinical psychologist. However, I'll get that answer 
when we go to the Amandaverse because this is Patreon only <laughs> content. Do do do. The last dose. Well, thank you so much for answering the questions from the people. And thank you so much for just sharing with us like your perspective on therapy. And the reality is, is that y'all like your, your path is your path. You know, I think you said something earlier where you said like, you know, therapy is not cookie cutter. Like it's a, it's an individual experience. And I know for a lot of folks the concept of therapy is fairly new. This like uh-huh. new, we're in a new era where like therapy is not so stigmatized. Like now, like you hear like rappers talking about therapy, you know what I'm I saying? You it. hear athletes, like you hear there were, that, for those of y'all who don't know, like that is brand new. Like that was not yeah. a thing. Therapy was seen as like a diss. Oh, you need therapy. Like, oh, yeah. like you, you got problems, et cetera. And now we're at a point where like, you can't even call nobody crazy. Cause they're like I mean, that. Everyone deserves it. You deserve therapy. And I'm not trying to insult you. I'm saying you deserve the space to ruminate and have someone modeled appropriate relationship you get to break stuff down you deserve that we all deserve that right and especially black folk because if anyone needs to go it's it's yes. tough you deserve someone who specializes in what you and won't state that it's only a you thing will state like oh this is a systemic issue and let's actually what can we do about that let's let's do some stuff with that there you go y'all you deserve so go out there and get yours <laughs> thank you so much for joining us <laughs> 